0: Give the people what they want.
1: Give the people what they want.
0: Give the people what they want. Your weekly movement news roundup. Give the people what they want. 27th of August 2021. An important day in the annals of human civilization. Prashant, are you ready? Happy birthday birthday to you. you. <laughs> I'm just
2: going with one language. <laughs> you can do the
0: chorus. <laughs> Happy birthday, Zoe. Um, it's great uh, for you all to join us. It's Zoe, Zoe's birthday. Zoe and Prashanta from People's Dispatch, which is peoplesdispatch.org. Um, your best movement-driven news portal. I'm Vijay from Globetrotter, coming to you again. I'm not sure if this is the 42nd or 100th episode of Give the People What They Want. It feels like the first one because we love doing this so very much. And we're happy to be here with you every single Friday. And I hope you're bringing your friends and telling your friends about this great show. We're going to start in Afghanistan. Um, You, of course, have been following the cataclysm in that country. Uh, Two blasts of different kinds. One... Uh, Supposedly a suicide bomber, another a truck bomb uh, killed 100-plus people around Kabul airport, including 13 U.S. soldiers, Um, 100-odd people who were waiting to get evacuated from Kabul airport. It's not exactly clear who conducted it, but all eyes are towards the Islamic State of Khorasan. Um, The Islamic State of Khorasan's leader was executed by the Taliban a week ago, he was executed. Uh, he had been held in a prison in Kabul. And as soon as the Taliban came into, um, into Kabul, they released many other uh, people who had been detained, but they executed the head of the Islamic State of Khorasan. The Islamic State of Khorasan had been attacking the Taliban, had been trying to outflank them uh, on the level of violence. Situation in Afghanistan still dire. Um, The question of what will be the government that comes into Afghanistan, still unclear. This is important. Let me repeat that. Uh, Afghanistan does not have a government. Uh, This is important. The Taliban is in power, but it's not the government. It has taken power with force in uh, Kabul and controls large parts of Afghanistan. But Afghanistan does not have a government. This is what has given... Many, many international agencies, the excuse to cut off funds uh, to the governing institutions in Afghanistan. For instance, uh, Taliban personnel went to the central bank of Afghanistan uh, earlier this week and asked, where's the money? Because we want to have access to the money. There's about nine and a half billion US dollars as the external reserves of Afghanistan. Let me just repeat that again so that you uh, have this in hand. The United States government over the past 20 years spent 2.26 trillion dollars on Afghanistan. Afghanistan's total external reserves are merely 9.5 billion dollars. This is nothing for a country of 38 million people. And the Taliban, who asked the central bank employees, Where's the money? It tells you a little bit about the Taliban. They don't understand uh, contemporary economics. Uh, that's just a fact. Um, the Taliban was told, well, the money is actually not here. It's held in the uh, Federal Reserve Bank in New York City. And the Taliban was horrified. Well, because the, ta- the Afghanistan's external reserves are held in the United States, United States has cut off access to those reserves. The IMF, which you know, very dramatically released $650 billion of uh, special drawing rights, SDRs, uh, which are the IMF's uh, bridge currency. They informed the Afghan state institutions that Afghanistan would not access their special drawing rights. In other words, Afghanistan has no money right now. Um, Put this into the context of the fact that fleeing President Ashraf Ghani filled his plane that eventually landed in the United Arab Emirates with dollars, with enormous amounts of money, cash money, wrapped in, uh, in, in, in saran wrap. Now, he had gone to the airport with four Jeeps filled with money. They couldn't get all of it into the plane, which is why the Russian press attaché saw on the tarmac the uh, Jeep with the money sitting in it. It couldn't get it all onto the plane. Taliban officials have been tweeting photographs of uh, homes of former Ashraf Ghani officials with cash sitting there, Um, cash money, again wrapped in saran wrap, probably offloaded from U.S. from U.S. aircraft. Something to bear in mind, the future of Afghanistan is not going to be through the suffocation of the people, Um, 38 million people, they're not able to access cash, which means the state institutions cannot function. Many state employees are fleeing the country. Uh, Taliban is not going to be able to govern without the assistance of many of these state employees who are are perhaps truly fleeing for their life. Uh, Despite the amnesty, uh, people are not believing the Taliban as they perhaps should not because the Taliban has a record between 1996 and 2001. We're going to be paying attention very closely to developments in Afghanistan because things might go from bad to much worse, to infinitely worse. Um, That's the story in Afghanistan. It's no better in Colombia, it seems to me, if you uh, are serious about things, even though there's a democratically elected government, the government of Ivan Duque, things are in a mess. Zoe, what's happening? Uh, What's happening in Colombia?
1: Well, you know, we covered very extensively and continue to uh, the national strike protest that began, you know, on April 28th originally against the tax reform that was proposed by the government, um, you know, which is a reform that we've seen introduced in many countries across the world. That Amid the COVID-19 pandemic, governments found that, you know, they lost a lot of money, they lost a lot of their budgets, and they turned to the people to kind of uh, make up this deficit. Um, whereas we've seen in countries like Argentina that have been taxing, you know, wealthy, uh, the large wealth, um, to try to make up this deficit in Colombia. Uh, they turned to the people, they uh, decided to put this tax on, you know, items of basic consu- uh, consumption. And, you know, through arduous mobilization, they they were, you know, the Senate was forced to table um, this, this bill. Uh, and in the last week, um, the uh, Congress again presented a new tax reform bill, and it was passed. Um, and So yesterday, August 26th, people were out on the streets once again um, to reject reject this tax reform bill because once again, it, you know, prioritizes corporations. It um, disfavors um, the people. Um, You know, they pointed out from the National Strike Committee that it would freeze the salaries of all, you know, public sector employees. They also say that, even though they've been mobilizing consistently since april you know against neoliberal policies that the government has also continued privatizing um, state companies some of the most important you know holdings of the state such as the oil company Ecopetrol, and you know the most important thing i think we can point out to what they're rejecting is the continuation of systematic state violence this is something that we've you know Covered from day one and give the people what they want and also on people's dispatch and you know in the last week there was a really tragic assassination of a young person Esteban Mosquera Uh, he was 24 years old and in 2018 Esteban Mosquera was part of the student strike a massive demonstration to demand access to education access to higher free education for all and in one of those protests he was shot in the face um, by the riot police and he lost his eye. And he really became a symbol of, you know, this state repression of the Colombian state that we've seen, you know, have an uptick during the government of Iván Duque. And last week he was assassinated in the city of Popayán, un. Um, The people are unidentified, but we can really see it as a continuation of the criminalization of resistance in Colombia, you know, the impossibility of really being able to engage in any sort of opposition to the government, Um, you know, and of course, there are over 230 ex-combatants of the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. And, you know, the violence continues. Um, There's also been over uh, 67 massacres um just in this year so we really need to continue looking at this story um it will be interesting to see what happens if the protests do continue to reject these neoliberal policies if it will spark once again another wave of protest or what will really continue in colombia
0: um i'm afraid to say friends that on give the people what they want this week every one of our stories is a difficult story Um, You know, we talk about what we want to cover before the show. Uh, Generally, there's a story or two that are quite moving and meaningful. Uh, This is a tough week. And we're going to go to Palestine because Prashant is going to tell us, Prashant, there have been a wave of arrests of people, decent people being arrested. Uh, What is the Israeli government doing? I mean, yes, Naftali Bennett comes to the United States to meet Joe Biden. They talk about a reset This term reset is so overused, you know, you're not sure what they are resetting. Uh, But meanwhile, uh, back in occupied Palestine, things are ugly again.
2: Absolutely, Vijay, because uh, like you said, Bennett is in the United States. But what absolutely hasn't changed is, for instance, what is happening in Gaza. And what we have seen in over the past week is two rounds of incidents where Numerous Palestinians have been injured. We saw one round of protests on Saturday where they were marking the arson incident of 1969 at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And there were many, many were injured. We saw one of whom died later, a 32-year-old Hamas activist. We saw later on Wednesday another round of protests against the brutal blockade of Gaza. And we don't have to, you know, we don't have to go to even talk among ourselves. The UN has called Gaza the world's largest open-air prison for a reason because... What has happened is Israel and Egypt, Egypt, which is often claimed to be uh, in solidarity with Palestine, have basically blocked Gaza more or less or have the capacity to block Gaza more or less. And I believe today morning or yesterday, Egypt slightly opened one of its entry points. Israel also restricting movement on entry points. So you have people who have gone for treatment, who are stuck, people who want to go for treatment, people, students, all kinds of uh, you know uh, cross section of people in Gaza who are continuously at the mercy of Israel and Egypt and often some of these are punitive blockades because there are protests so when you have Palestinians protesting Egypt decides that it it will close the, the the borders or the border checkpoints or you know if there's a protest Israel bombs Palestine Gaza on Monday and Tuesday and claims that incendiary balloons were sent so what we have is the, of course like wait i think the blockade is one of those stories which Uh, needs to be continuously told because the impact it has on life in Gaza there are a lot of numbers of course 50 percent of the population unemployed a huge number of people dependent on aid for survival and you know the infrastructure already in dire straits after the bombing in May which saw the death of nearly 250 people and of course we know that before that there was a great march of return where again another 300 close to 300 people were killed by Israeli forces so on the one hand you have continuous resistance by the people of Gaza demanding some of their most basic rights that you know they be allowed the freedom of movement that their economic lives you know, economic lives and economic possibilities not be crushed that they be allowed to even go and access treatment for diseases and even these basic needs are denied on a day to day basis on the whims and fancies of israel and its allies in egypt so uh, overall, definitely a very, very difficult situation. But we do see that the protests are continuing, people continuing to come out onto the streets because uh, they do know that this is, they need to keep pointing out this crime. There's, there's no other word for it, this crime to the world's population, to the world's people. And, uh, you know, whatever discussions might happen between Biden and Bennett and many many of these leaders, we do know that this is one of those uh, the blockade is one of those things that is not probably going to uh, come up in the near future, definitely. So I think a huge challenge ahead for the people of Gaza and Palestine, because uh, this, like I said, it's it's day-to-day violation of rights. It's day-to-day brutal, inhuman uh, behavior by the Israelis, and it continues unabated.
0: And of course, um, the question of human rights suspended. Uh, because the Palestinians live in limbo. Um, You know, uh, UN agencies frustrated, UN agencies having a hard time uh, to get um, their work done, uh, you know, basic work to to tend to Palestinian children and so on. Um, They're just not able to operate effectively in Gaza. This is a major issue that we have a place in the world which exists outside the realm of human rights. Um, You know, there's concern now about Afghanistan None really about um, what Israel is doing in in, in the Palestinian lands. Um, as I said, this is give the people what they want from People's Dispatch and Globetrotter, uh, two of your most important media sources, uh, People's Dispatch, of course, at peoplesdispatch.org. Um, all the stories we talk about, you can find things at People's Dispatch and elsewhere and in a world of media houses. Um, including, of course, Madar News, if you read Arabic, uh, which covers the Palestinian situation closely. Uh, If you read Arabic, it's a good source for you. Um, If you read Spanish, you'd go and read um, uh, Arg Medios, uh, based in Buenos Aires, where they have been covering uh, very seriously events in Bolivia and in Peru, two countries with a left-leaning government, Uh, both struggling with different kinds of of crises. Um, Zoe, what are the parallel and yet different crises in the government of Luis Arce in Bolivia and Pedro Castillo in Peru?
1: Well, yeah, as we spoke last week, um, you know, reporting on the kind of forced resignation of Hector Bejar, who was the foreign minister of the Peru Libre government, Um, we spoke about these challenges that are presented to this left government that won a very, very challenging victory, you know, after almost, I think it was nearly two months of, you know, legal challenges presented in the various courts in Peru. Um, We've seen, you know, in Bolivia, uh, you know, Luis Arce David Choquehuanca won the elections easily in October. It was about uh, 55% that they won the majority of votes, um, you know, back in October, in the first round of the elections. Um, But they've also, you know, been confronted with kind of these right wing factions that we also see in Peru that are very, very hesitant to give up their power, and very, very, uh, you know, bothered by the actions of these kind of governments who threaten their wealth, their power and their interests, you know, both nationally and internationally. So in Peru, you know, since the, you know, we see the kind of resignation of Hector Bejar as part of a process. Um, I think ALBA movements, the platform social movements across Latin America, uh, characterizes it as being part of a coup process underway. Um, you know, they're seeing this development with a lot of concern, a lot of, you know, serious worry for what could happen in Peru. You know, we've seen constant pressure being applied in all in all parts um you know contesting the appointment of ministers you know not allowing the government to actually function and it's not even along political differences on certain issues or debates it's really that they won't let them be you know approved and function as a government and in bolivia you know of course the the government was inaugurated in november it's been functioning since then and we've actually seen tremendous strides not only in terms of um politically speaking reopening ties with venezuela and other really important developments economically reactivating national industry but you know last week we saw as we mentioned on the show um the really important development of you know, taking forward the process of investigating the crimes that were committed during the coup regime's time in office. Um, And now we're seeing a lot of ominous threats from right-wing sectors in Bolivia that have been brooding, that have been, you know, trying to figure out what they can do to respond to this government. You know, they stole power in October 19, uh, 2019 thinking, okay, <laughs> we got it. Then they were, of course, defeated by popular mobilization, you know, by constant mobilization and organization of the people, their prime leaders have actually faced processes of justice. Janine Añez is in prison. Uh, Arturo Murillo was arrested finally, even though he escaped Bolivia. Um, But this week, the Organization of Human Rights of Bolivia um, warned that there's attempted escape plot, um, to break Janine Anya's out of prison. And they're continuing to kind of put pressure. She apparently, uh, attempted to commit suicide follow directly following the release of this report that confirmed that she oversaw crimes against humanity and massive violations of human rights during the coup. Um, and so they've alerted to this. I think it's very concerning, um, And it's really an example that like once these left governments are in power in countries that have such hardened and solidified and, uh, you know, historically strong right wing, it's not going to be they just arrive and it's an easy. I mean, of course, we've seen this in Venezuela. The right wing continues to kind of use all means necessary to try to oust the government but i think here we have to really remain watchful in Al- alba movements is calling the process in peru an attempted coup yesterday there was a, a congress member of congress that spoke in Quechua, which is an indigenous language and he was you know, booed, he was, you know, yelled at by the other members of Congress saying, what are you saying? What are you speaking? Of course, this is an indigenous language that he's speaking of their country, and they wouldn't allow him to speak that. So we're just seeing these expressions of the very, very extreme right that are very angry with what's been happening.
0: Um, it's really interesting that the, um, the deputy spoke in Quechua and he was mocked in this way. It tells you a lot about the character of certain political projects, projects of the right in particular. I'm going to take us away from South America down to the southern part of Africa. I've been covering this story for quite a long time now. This is the story uh, approximately on, in Cabo Delgado, the northern province of Mozambique where earlier in 2017, um, various militant groups crossed the border from uh, the north into Mozambique, came into the town of Palma, um, disrupted the activities of the French multinational corporation Total, uh, which has an enormous project in northern Mozambique, highly neglected part of Mozambique, it should be said. Um, This uh, insurgency in the north... Uh, has continued for four years, uh, deepening, uh, hardening in different places. Some towns have been held by the insurgents for a year. Now, this is interesting, friends. This is an insurgency. The Mozambican government has been unable to unearth this insurgency from Cabo Delgado, a very poor area, no doubt about that. Mozambican government had not done favors to the people of Cabo Delgado. 27 to 14. A group of artisanal ruby farmers just thrown off their lands for commercialization purposes. Somebody comes in, they basically uh, build, uh, you know, projects for big corporations. All this is happening in the north. People don't see any benefit. Insurgents, of course, take advantage of this situation. That's what's happening there. There should be a political solution. There, should, there needs to be some sort of military intervention because this, these group of insurgents are not interested in a conversation. Now, here comes the additional layer of complexity. They claim to be part of the Islamic State. Um, Warning bells must go on around the continent of Africa, because there has. And and I, I tend to have great suspicion when the US Pentagon talks about terrorists, Islamic terrorists here, there and everywhere, because for them, it's a bogeyman for intervention. On the other hand, there is a cause for alarm, because we've seen, for instance, in Nigeria, in the Sahel region, um, we've seen that the growth of the Islamic State, quite dramatic growth. In fact, Boko Haram's leader was removed from office and uh, much harder uh, political forces have come in. Um, This is all an opening created by the destruction of people's basic ability to live their lives. Nonetheless, these groups are there now. They are entrenched, Uh, crossing the border from Rwanda. 1,000 troops intervene in Cabo Delgado, northern uh, Mozambique. They come in without a manda- mandate from SADAC, the Southern African Development uh, Community, without any SADAC mandate. They come without an African Union mandate. They are invited by the government of Mozambique. Of course, that's uncontested. But nonetheless, they cross the border. Then, following these thousand troops, uh, five countries uh, send in force under the, the, the banner of SADAK. Um, these include uh, just so I don't get miss them Botswana, South Africa, Lesotho, Angola and Tanzania sending troops into northern Mozambique. Now it is being said, and I am being told by people in, um, in these, from these countries, that the reason they wanted to intervene so quickly, is they wanted to forestall, to prevent a French intervention, to prevent a U.S. intervention. They wanted to have an African intervention. The problem is they come without an African Union mandate. This is relative lawlessness. Um, Sadak's outgoing uh, head has said, uh, Stegomena Tax made a comment saying that no, SADAC did inform the African Union. But the african union's peace and security council has not discussed mozambique yet Uh, this is a a, a real crisis for the continent Uh, needs to be far more uh, discussion and so on meanwhile and i'm not going to get into this at length the french have been withdrawing from the sahel region they are pulling out what will be the consequences of this as united states pulls out of, of afghanistan france pulls out of of the sahel region Is this going to necessarily advantage groups like the Islamic State? Are other projects available? Certainly doesn't seem so, because in Maputo, in the south of Mozambique, in the capital, there's a court case underway. 19 men in the dock for a 2 billion uh, billion US dollar secret loan taken from uh, three different uh, banks to three public enterprises, Pro Indicus, Mozambique Asset Management and Tum. This was to buy a tuna fishing fleet. Involved in all this is the son of the former president of Mozambique. Involved in all this is the defense minister who is now the current president of Mozambique. Involved in all this is the former finance minister, Manuel Chang, who is now detained in South Africa. Involved in this is the security and intelligence chief, Giorgio Leo. I don't know what's happening, friends, in Mozambique, but it's certainly very complicated. I'm coming back to this story. We're going to follow it very closely. The reason I said I don't know what's happening is we don't know who's leaking information about these deals and so on. It's very unclear. There's a lot of dirty tricks at work in Mozambique. We'll come back to it. Now, we got Mozambique, we've got the fact that people on the African continent not being vaccinated fast enough. Um, Prashant, what's happening on the story of vaccines?
2: Right Vijay, we come back to this, we seem to come back to this with alarming regularity every couple of weeks. And today something just a few hours ago, something very interesting happening on this count. The joint statement of multilateral leaders task force. It's a uh, it, it, what do you call it? It's a it, it's a group of uh, the leaders of the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund. They met with leaders of the Africa CDC, leaders of the African Vaccination Acquisition Trust, the Gavi Project, and their conclusion today, so many months, nearly one and a half years after the pandemic, uh, you know, really struck, is that less than two percent of adults are fully vaccinated in most low-income countries. Whereas when you look at the numbers in the Developed countries, it's almost, or high income countries. It's almost at 50%. And this right now, I think at this point shows the sheer, uh, the unbelievable gap that we've talked about again and again. And to the credit of the World Health Organization and UN leaders, for instance, all of them have referred to this again and again. But this situation has continued without any change. And this statement that came out today, it's on the World Health Organization website, came out just a few hours ago, points out to a very simple fact that, you know, while the rich countries have promised massive number of vaccine doses to, say, for instance, the COVAX program, the actual number of delivery apparently has been about just 10% of the 900 million committed doses. So, you know, while we have these, had these huge conferences where the leaders of the G7 have gathered and made these grand promises, the actual number of commitments has been very, very less. And there were, of course, you know, plans laid out that at least 10% of the global population should be covered by September. Nowhere close to that. The plan that, say, 40% of the population should be covered by the end of the year. Again, absolutely nowhere close to that. And we did a story a couple of, uh, we had a fortnight ago by Pawan Kulkarni, where he actually examined the situation specifically in Africa. And at that time, that was on August 12th, just 1.75% of the continent's population had been fully vaccinated. And that's an alarming and disturbing number. And while this is a number that we've been continuing to follow over uh, the past few months and weeks and years, one of the interesting aspects or one of the, you know, not even interesting, it's an alarming aspect, is the fact that any country, many countries which have actually chosen to spend a bit more, on public health, on social expenditure, have had their ratings downgraded by uh, the uh, the agencies. You know, you have your Moody's, your Standard & Poor, you have Fitch. So there are examples, for instance, of Morocco. There's, I believe, Ethiopia as well, which, uh, you know, have actually tried to sort of expand their social spending at this time or, you know, go for some kind of debt relief as per some of the provisions offered by the G7. And each time this has happened, either one or two or sometimes even three of the agencies have actually downgraded many of these countries. And over the past year, we've seen many countries being downgraded, but no surprises about the fact that uh, only 4.6% of these downgrades have happened, uh, have targeted the developed economies. The rest has completely been targeting the low-income economies, the developing economies. And so this is the kind of, You know, trap that we have on the one hand, rich countries, you know, not fulfilling the promises they make. On the other hand, any attempt by the low-income or poorer countries to expand their expenditure to try to sort of build some kind of protect, give some kind of protection for their citizens, automatically being targeted by ratings agencies. So we have the two, you know, the double blow, double punch of capitalism, so to speak, hitting from both sides, and that's really where we are today with the
0: vaccines. All ugly stories today from Give the People What They Want coming to you from People's Dispatch and Globetrotter. We're not happy about this. We'd like to bring you better stories. We also want you to let us know what you think about this show. Uh, Tell other people about this show because you are, in fact, our advertising agency. Every one of you that watches this show is a mouthpiece to bring others to it. Uh, Help us uh, as we try to spread a different kind of approach uh, to delivering you world news. It's Zoe's birthday today. Happy birthday, Zoe. Uh, We'll be back next Friday. We'll be back with Give the People What They Want, your favorite weekly news roundup. Thanks a lot.